Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, thank you to our worship team for that. Uh, when we were preparing for worship this week on a Zoom call, uh, we said there's no, no better song that probably speaks to the situation we're in today than because he lives. Because he lives, I know I can face tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, it is every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. That's why we meet on Sundays. But Lord, Today we focus everything towards the resurrection. It's because you live that I can face tomorrow. It's because you live that all fear is gone. Because, Lord, I know who holds tomorrow. And I know that he has already risen from the dead. He's alive and well. And he's conquered death, hell, and the grave for all of us who put our hope and trust in him. Lord, thank you for this reason we celebrate, that we serve a risen Savior, because he lives. He lives. We have hope even in a time like this. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. We're going to uh, look in John chapter 11, and uh, I, I would ask you over the next few moments just to make this kind of a holy hour for the next 20 minutes is what it'll be. It won't be uh, that long, 20 to 25 minutes. But we really want to give this time to the Lord. And I want to preach this morning because he lives. So I'm going to be in John chapter 11, and I'm going to read a, a uh, in a moment, I'm going to read a story we're all very familiar with. And I'm going to, there's quite a few Bible verses, so I want you to follow along with me, especially if you have that, that you know, that copy of God's Word in your hand. I know many of you are looking on a digital device, but you know, and if you've logged in, you can look at the Bible verses right there while you still watch uh, as well. So let me talk about that subject because he lives, because living and dying is a, are some things that we have to deal with every day. And so we, we have all this advancement in technology, and we always wonder, were humans ever possessed the technology to, to resurrect someone back from the dead? Well, there was a guy who back in the 60s, late 60s, named Dr. James Bedford, who hopes so because he's been waiting for the last 50 years frozen in a lab at Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Let me tell you a story real quickly. James Bedford, and this article came out of the New York Times, was an American psychology professor at the University of California. And prior to his death in 1967, he expressed his desire to be cryogenically frozen so his body could be repaired and his consciousness revived with, when more advanced technology became available. He was suffering from kin- kidney cancer that had metastasized into his lungs. And so when he got to the point in his life when he knew death was in- imminent, he quickly changed his will and bequeathed $100,000 for the preservation of his body. He died on January 12, 1967, and his family was kind of caught, caught off guard when he died because there was no cryonics industry equipped 
to preserve a body. And so to honor his wishes, it is said that Bedford's nurse reportedly ran up and down the block collecting ice from the freezers from neighbors so she could pack his body in ice while they kept him on a breathing machine. And they called the Life Extension Society, a group that was founded in 1964, to promote cryonic suspension of people. And so in January 12, 1967, a team of experts arrived to prepare his body, and they did what they knew to do at the time, which is they injected medical-grade antifreeze, which I didn't know was a thing, into his bloodstream. And while they continued to pump oxygen through his body in order to minimize the damage to his brain, and his body was then put into a capsule packed with dry ice, and it got down to as cold as... Uh, uh, they eventually put in a liquid nitrogen environment. It got down to almost 200 degrees Celsius. For the next two years, he was stored at a facility in Phoenix, Arizona. Then he was moved to a new uh, facility in California. Eight years later, later, his body was shifted again while his son and his wife tried to protect him in that frozen state. The rest of his family had gone to court, and they were trying to get him out of that frozen state so they could bury him. It got so expensive that this is sad. His son had to put him in a self-storage facility and come into the self-storage facility periodically and top his container with liquid nitrogen in order to keep him frozen. 1982, he was entrusted to the Alcor Life Extension Foundation where he's been ever since. They made an examination of his body in 1991 and found that the upper body and his neck as well as his arms were discolored almost like they had a an infection in them his nose has been flattened as a result of a slab of ice that was kind of dropped on him at one point and his skin has begun to crack and to break apart basically the article said if he were to be revived he would look kind of like a zombie the true process that we've developed today to kind of freeze humans was not developed in the night until the late 1980s as a matter of fact the the antifreeze they put in his body is now known to cause brain damage the place where he's kept said this that he is suspended in something akin to a deep coma they said bedford is neither legally alive nor is he quite dead he's been suspended for over 50 years hoping a resurrection one day will come. Can I tell you that it's kind of the way we view the resurrection? That it's just a little bit of technology away or it's an event that's going to happen in the future. But I want to tell you, that is not a resurrection. The resurrection is not of an event. The resurrection is a person. And the person's name is Jesus. Can I tell you a couple of things that I know that are 100% true and sure about you today, no matter where you're watching? I know two things that are 100% true. Here they are. Number one, you are alive. Like if you're watching this, you're alive. If you're not alive, you shouldn't be watching this. There are other things you should be, like you're not alive. You are alive, rather, if you're watching this. 100% fact, true. Second thing I know about you that's 100% true is you will die. And the most important question you can answer in your living is where are you going after you're dying? 
the most important question you can answer during your living because you can only deal with that question during your living. And if you're watching me today, you are alive. And the biggest question you can answer right now is what is going to happen after you do your dying? You know, reality, Jesus deals with both of those things. He affects your living because he came to earth to give us a purpose for living beyond a mere existence. Purpose comes from knowing God. And the only way to know God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Purpose comes from Jesus. He came to give us a purpose in life beyond mere existence. If you're here listening to me today and your life feels empty and your life feels shallow, that's because you're not connected to the one who gives purpose. His name is Jesus. But secondly, he came to deal with the problem of dying. You know, we have uh, the question of death. We, we've been introduced in recent days to the death tracker. I mean, for the first time in my life, we're, we are tracking death on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, I, I pull up my iPhone every day and I, I look at the deaths in the United States. I look at the deaths in Georgia and I look at the percentage. It's the first time in my life, my lifetime, maybe since a World War II, that we have a death tracker that is updated uh, multiple times a day. And if that doesn't make you realize your own mortality, it makes you deal with the question, what will happen when you die? I want to tell you this morning, because Jesus lives, he can answer those questions. Because Jesus lives, we have an answer to those questions. And he gave us the answer in John chapter 11. So I want to read in my Bible, and you can follow along with me, and it's on the screen if, uh, if you don't have your Bible. John chapter 11 is a familiar story, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'll start reading in verse number one. Now, man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for us, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now, I'm going to jump over to verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles. Many of the Jews had come to Mary, uh, Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. See, she thought the resurrection was an event. The resurrection is not an event, it's a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is hearing, is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. 
And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, she, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, Lord, they told him, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you have sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in the cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. John chapter 11 is a celebration of the story of bringing a dead man named Lazarus back to life. For the careful reader, though, it's more than just a dramatic, miraculous account. It is one of the most important explorations of the subject of life, death, and resurrection found anywhere in the Scripture. Up to this point, Jesus has presented himself as the giver of life to various people. Now, if you've read the book of John, you'll know this. But if you've not, listen, he said to Nicodemus in chapter 3 that he was eternal life. He said to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, he was the water of life. He said to the official son and the lame man that he is the restorer of life. He said to the hungry multitude that he was the bread of life. He said to the blind man that he was the light of life. And he said to the sheep who followed him that that, uh, he was abundant life. And in chapter 11, he is the ultimate expression of life. He is the resurrection and the life. Life before and after death. To a dead man, he offered resurrection life. It is the greatest miracle John records Jesus doing, and it speaks volumes about life and death to us. Let me show you what it tells us. Number one, it tells us this, that you have a problem to solve. You have a problem to solve. See, here's... Here's the problem we have to solve, that death creates a problem for all of us because all of us are going to die. Listen, we neither have a solution for stopping death, nor do we have a solution for overcoming death. When Jesus got to the tomb, Lazarus had been dead four days, and they didn't have a solution to Lazarus' death, or they would have done it already. And the, the problem was so bad that his sister said, Jesus, don't roll the stone away. By now, he already Stinks. He's in a rapid state of decay. Now, there are sources that tell us that the Jews believed at that time that the spirit, when somebody died, would hover over the body for three days. But on the fourth day is typically when decay set in. And when decomposition set in, the spirit would leave because he would know there was no hope of a resurrection. So four days after death, you've got a problem. Can I tell you this, uh, four minutes after death, you have a problem. Four seconds after death, you have a problem. 
See, death is a problem because all of us are racing towards death. You are headed towards death. I'm headed towards death. And the minute a newborn baby comes in the world, he has a destiny with death. It's a problem because there is no solution to death. I can neither stop it nor can I overcome it on my own. It's a problem because no one has ever seen the other side and come back to tell about it. And I know what you're going to say. Well, preacher, what about all these people who wrote all those books? I get it. Don't believe any of that. No one has seen the other side and come back to tell about it. Death is a problem because all people cannot go to the same place after death. There's no person who has a theology that allows for all people. Your theology, whatever it may be, will not allow Hitler and Mother Teresa to be in the same place after death. Death is a problem because oblivion makes no sense. You say, well, preacher, I just think we die and that's the end of us. Well, that, that makes no sense whatsoever because it, it fails to deal with the philosophical questions of origin, purpose, and meaning in life. Death is a problem. There is something on the other side of that door, and we are racing towards it at a light speed. As a matter of fact, the Bible will tell this, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Each person is destined to die once. I want to tell you that you are destined to die and that is a problem. The problem is you can't get out of death. You've probably never heard this name. His, his name, I, I think I'm pronouncing it right, is Benjamin Schreiber. He's very much alive, but that haven't, hasn't stopped him from arguing that he actually died four years ago. He's a convicted murderer who collapsed dead in a prison cell and the doctors restarted his heart five times to bring him back to life. He is currently serving the, in the Iowa State Penitentiary. Well, he died. They brought him back to life, and he immediately filed, as soon as he was able, a legal appeal saying he had fulfilled his death sentence when his heart stopped. And now he's claiming he's being held in prison illegally. His argument is simple. I was to stay in prison until I died. I died, and so now should be let go. And he filed, his attorneys filed on his behalf. However, the judges, you'll be glad to know, aren't buying it. They said the argument is with unpersuasive, unpersuasive and without merit. And here's what they said. The fact that he was able to file a legal motion itself confirms the petitioner's current state of living. We didn't say you were in jail till you died once. We said you were in jail till you were completely dead. He thought he'd found a loophole in the death clause. Can I tell you, he, he didn't find a loophole, and, and you're not going to find a loophole either. You are going to die. I am going to die. And that's a problem we don't have a solution to. That's a problem science does not have a solution to. That's a problem philosophy does not have a solution to. That's a problem that medicine does not have a solution to. That is a problem that technology has no real solution. You say, well, this is a depressing point. Well, let me ask you, how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel full of fear? Does that make you feel full of anxiety? Does that make you feel full of worry? Listen, I'm not saying that in life you can get to the point where you're okay with death. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can get to the point where you're okay with where you are going and what happens to you after you die. You have a problem to solve. The problem is death. That leads me into the second thing this passage tells us, and that is you have a person to 
trust. So here's the thing about the problem to death. There is no earthly cure as much as we try. We can't even cure a virus right now. Like this virus is shutting down the world. We've never even been able to slow the death rate. It's still 100%. Look at the coronavirus tracker. I track it in Georgia. It was like 3.4% or 3% of people who've gotten in Georgia have passed away. Deaths is coming for all of us. There's never been a solution until Jesus stepped on the scene. Here's, Here's what he said. He said, resurrection is not an event, it's a person. If you believe in me, you will solve the problem of death. And to prove what he was saying is true, here's what he did. Jesus put not a period at the end of the sentence. He put an exclamation point at the end of the sentence because in verse 43 he said this, Lazarus, come out. Now can you imagine? Just imagine being in the crowd. Maybe a couple hundred people there watching. And when, when, when they said, when he said Lazarus come out, can you imagine people being, the family being like, oh man, this guy's embarrassing us. Why did Mary and Martha have to invite him? He does weird stuff every time he comes to a funeral. And I'm sure somebody said, what, what weird things does he do? I don't know him. And they said, well, every, weird stuff, man. Every time he comes to a funeral, the person comes back from the dead. It's the weirdest thing ever. And like, don't we want him here? When he said Lazarus come out, Lazarus came out. Can I tell you this? It's a fairly persuasive argument to put your faith in someone who just raised someone else from the dead. Now, here's the key we're not even getting into today. In just a few days from now, Jesus is going to raise himself from the dead. Can I just tell you, that's the guy I want to trust. The guy that I saw raise somebody else from the dead and the guy that history bears out was raised from the dead himself. See, they thought resurrection was an event. The sister even said it. Well, we know he'll get up at the last day. Jesus said, you missed the whole point. The resurrection is not an event. I am the resurrection. The resurrection is a person. And you have to put your trust in that person. His name is Jesus. And you say, well, I don't feel comfortable putting my trust in someone that, uh, to, for death. Yes, you do. You do it all the time. We've done it for years. Again, I, I dug into the New York Times uh, and found this article on anti-aging and longevity this week. And, you know, scientists for years have been trying to uh, uh, do these anti-aging longevity. And it got to the point they even were experimenting on themselves to try to make themselves live a long time. And the New York Times asked the question, well, how's it going so far? Well, so far, not so good. Let me, let me give you some examples. For example, this is a guy named, a 1930s nutritionist named Clive McKay. He designed a low-calorie diet in his lab that uh, he fed to rats that he said kept them super model thin, and he claimed that his rats lived to the human equivalent of 130 years old. And so he applied the theory to himself, and he became uh, very, very athletic, very, very trim, very much in good shape, and through all of that, by applying all of that to himself, He lived to the ripe old age of 69 and died of two strokes. Well, 
later on, is a guy named Roy Walford, who developed a 16-calorie-a-day diet in the 1980s. And he wrote a book called The 120-Year Diet. And he followed it up with another book called Living Beyond the 120-Year Diet. And he had thousands of followers. They were called cronies. Uh, Let's see if I can get this. Calorie Restriction with Optimal Nutrition. Cronies. And he said it'd help us all live past 100, and he lived to be 79. Then there's Yule Gibson, who many of you remember from the Great Nuts commercial. He is far ahead of his time when he talked about a diverse plant diet. Mr. Gibson lived to the ripe old age of 64 before he died of an aneurysm. Then we have Adele Davis, who popularized the quote or even said it, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. She, she talked about the dangers of refined foods, staying away from sugar and white bread and all that, and she lived to the ripe old age of 70. Well, then you have Nathan, and I can't even say his last name, Prit, Prit Akin or something like that. He championed low-fat diets, and he died at 69. And then you had uh, Robert Atkins, who championed high-fat diets, and he died at 69. Then there's the most famous one of all, Jerome Rodale. He was a publisher of a, uh, uh, founder of the publishing empire that was dedicated to health. In 1971, Dick Cavett invited Mr. Rodell onto his TV show because he'd been hailed as the guru of organic food cult. Mr. Rodell, 72 years old, took his chair next to Mr. Cavett, proclaimed that he would live to be 100, made a snoring sound, and died on air. He ne- the episode obviously never aired. Can I, can I just tell you this? I'm not making fun of any of those probably great diets. But we've for decades put our faith in those people to solve the problem of death. And guess what? They all died. So here's what Jesus did to earn your trust and believe in him. He raised Lazarus from the dead after four days to prove he had the power over your death problem. And just to prove it again, he raised himself three days to prove that he had the power over all of death. Can I tell you this? Jesus alone is worthy of your trust. The resurrection is not an event. It's a person. His name is Jesus, and he can be trusted. Hey, I want to ask you today, who are you trusting to conquer the death problem? There's only really two answers to that. Some of you will say, well, nobody. But if you're trusting nobody, that means you're trusting yourself. If you say, I'm not trusting anyone, then you're stating that you know all things, and you know more about death than anyone. That obviously doesn't hold water, and then you say, well, I'm trusting somebody, and you might name who that person is. Can I tell you this? Can I ask you this question? Are they alive? Have they tasted death and conquered it? Have they conquered death to others? No, no, no. The person to trust is Jesus. That leads me to the third thing Jesus said. Number three, you have a decision to make. Here's what he says. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Jesus put the end of this this, uh, passage with a challenge. Do you believe this? Those words about faith and life are not a philosophical 
passage to be critically argued. They are a saving truth to be received in faith and acted on. Do you believe this? What are you going to do about the problem of death? Who are you going to trust? It's not something you ponder because as you ponder it, your life will end in tragedy. God has laid out his plan and you have to decide even right now. Who will you trust? You have a decision to make. Jesus didn't say, I'm the resurrection and life. Do with that what you will. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? That's the eternal question. That's the question Jesus came into the world for. That's the question we ask on Sundays. That's the question I answered when I became a Christian. Jesus looked in my heart and said, do you believe this? Now I'm asking you, do you believe this? It's amazing how far the world's come, but in 1879, Lieutenant George DeLong set out with the crew on the USS Jeanette in hopes of claiming the North Pole for the United States. DeLong's plans were based on maps developed by map makers at the time, and most map makers believed that there was a ring of ice around the North Pole, and once you broke through the ring of ice, what would happen is you would hit smooth sailing once you broke through the ring. They really believed it was like the Gulf of Mexico, that, that once you broke through that ring of ice at the North Pole, there would be all of these waters at the North Pole that would be filled with fish and wildlife, and it would be amazing and a great place to stake a claim. There's just one problem with that belief. No matter what the uh, map makers drew, ships kept running into ice. So you might think that ships running into ice every time they tried to break through the ice would lead scientists to abandon the theory of an open polar sea, as they called it. No, instead, they modified the theory by adding the idea of a thermometric gateway. That is, that if an explorer would just break through this icy circle in a ship that was really strong, he would eventually hit open waters and enjoy smooth sailing straight to the North Pole. The trick was to find the gap in the ice. So DeLong and a crew of 28 men wanted to find that portal, so they struck out for the North Pole. It didn't take long for DeLong to realize that the cartographers, the scientists, the geographers had been wrong. He wrote in his diary, I pronounce a thermometric gateway to the North Pole is a delusion and a snare. Eventually, the team was stuck in their boat in ice. They were running up against ice constantly in September 1879, trapped in the ice. They, they escaped, abandoned ship, and went in search of Siberia. The crew got, the crew got separated. Some made it to Siberia and others, survived, and, others, and survived. Others continued their lonely trek towards the North Pole and died. George Washington DeLong died in late October 1881 of starvation. He was covered up by snow except for one of his arms, and that's what you see in this statue dedicated to him, which was raised as if to signal towards the sky. Why, why do you tell us that story? Because it all happened because he followed the wrong map. Some of you are listening, and you've been following the wrong map when it comes to life and death. You've been following yours, but hey, your, your opinion is no better than mine. Your eternity can't hang on your opinion. 
Your opinion can't hang on what somebody else says who's never experienced death and or conquered death. Your opinion needs to be in the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ. Decide to follow him today. Here's the decision you have to make. Do you believe this? This Easter Sunday, do you believe this? Because he lives, you can be saved. You can be saved as simply as A, B, C. Here it is. Admit, and if you're a Christian, hold on. I'm going to show you something in a moment I want you to see. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know what to do about the problem of death, right where you sit now, whether it be your living room, your car, your work, wherever you may be, here it is. You want to believe that about Jesus? You want to be saved? It's as easy as A, B, C. Number one, admit that you don't have the solution, that you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. The Bible said we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. You're really just admitting that you can't save yourself. That's A. B, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. We've celebrated both of those this week. The crucifixion, today, the resurrection. You have to believe that. C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A, B, C. So wherever you are, we've had people do this every Sunday, and today may be your Sunday. If you'd like to trust Jesus as Savior and know that heaven is your home and you've solved that problem of death because you're in relationship with the resurrection of Jesus, with re the resurrection whose name is Jesus, just bow your heads right where you are and pray a prayer like this. It's not the prayer that saves you, the intent of your hearts to trust Jesus. Just bow where you are and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm not perfect and I cannot save myself. And I know because of that, that Jesus had to die on the cross and rise again on the third day, and I believe that. And so just now, I want to answer the question of Jesus and say, I believe it. And Lord Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. And I ask you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and to give me an eternal home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. If your head's bowed, look, look right this way. If you prayed that prayer or a similar one to it and you trusted Jesus as Savior, I want you to pull out your phone real quickly. And I want you to text the word, I did. One word, I did. Two words, but put them together. I did to the number 97,000. Up where you type in a phone number, just type in 97000. And down in the body of the text, just type I did. Don't let spell check correct it or anything. Just I did. Push together. That'll tell us that you prayed to receive Christ. And we're going to send you some materials in the mail that tell you what the next steps in the Christian life need to be. Because you'll be a little confused about the Christian life. And they're simple. We've got it all in a booklet that we want to send to you. And we'll get that right out to you. Just takes I did to 97,000. Now, if you're listening today on this Easter Sunday and you're already a Christian, then I want you to go right immediately after this service. I have a special word for you. If you're already a believer today, go to pvine.org slash life, L-I-F-E, pvine.org slash life. And there is a video there that I recorded that I want you to watch. It's only about three minutes long, but it's really incredibly important for you. And I want you to watch that today. If you can go to pvine.org slash life, watch that video today and make sure you watch it. We'll take it down in just a few days, so make sure you watch it.
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.